We're going to be in uh, Psalm 139, and I would love for you to turn there. Psalm 139 is not a long one. It is rich with some encouraging things about God and about God's knowledge of us that will help you, help us, I think. Psalm 139. I hope you've had a good day. I'm glad you're back here. It's good to be able to worship with you again, and I uh, certainly hope that all is going well with you in the new year. <clears throat> you got somebody who knows you pretty well, I'm guessing. Somebody who knows you pretty well, or who has known you pretty well. Somebody who can look at you and just by the slightest movement, and the muscle on your face can tell what you're thinking or what you're about to say. You've probably, if you've been married for a while, you've probably gotten the look from your spouse. Just a little subtle shake of the head that says, don't say that. You ever got one of those? Yeah, most of us have at one point or another. She knew, he knew, <coughs> based on just a little tick on your face, what you were about to say. You were about to get yourself in trouble. And so she, he jumps in and says, don't, you know, don't do it. There's this, uh, this text in Psalm 139, it's not talking about marriage, it's talking about God, but it's a, I guess it, depending on how you think about God, it'll, it'll, it'll be thrilling, I hope, ultimately, I hope that's where you end up, it, it could be thrilling, it could be downright scary, what the psalmist says about God. It's pretty deep, and it's pretty powerful, it's pretty humbling. And it's amazing. So let's look at it. Psalm 139. Some of this is going to sound pretty familiar to you. I, I, one thing I've noticed lately as, I've, as I read the Psalms is I don't realize how many things that we, that we, that we say, how many well-known sayings come from the Psalms. As you read them more, you start to realize that, that these sayings, that maybe they didn't know where they were from. Maybe you read them in the New Testament. They, they have their origin in the Old Testament. So this is one of those psalms that has all these expressions in it that you probably will be pretty familiar with. I want to take this in paragraphs, okay? And it's powerful. Just think about God. Think about, I don't know, just, just sit in the presence of God at, at, at the feet of His Word as we learn some things about God. Um, this, this is going to be one of those where I hope what you walk out of here with tonight is just a greater humility toward the sovereign Creator. And you're living in His presence every day. And when you go to work or school, when you interact with people in the neighborhood tomorrow, wherever it is you're going to be, that you will live a little bit more in the awareness that the Creator of this universe is intimately involved in every step you take, in every breath you take, in every thought in your mind, every word that you say, that He's there and He is intimately aware and interested in, in you and, and it's a, all right Psalm 139 just a pretty neat thing oh Lord oh Lord you have searched me and known me you know when I sit down and when I rise up you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before a word is on my tongue behold oh Lord you know it all together you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Let's stop there. This is the first 
paragraph in the psalm speaking about God's intimate awareness, intimate understanding of us. How does that make you feel? If you believe this, if you believe these six verses are true, how does that make you feel? I'd love for you to just think about that. Sit with that for a moment. How does that make you feel? God knows. Everybody in here has done things that we have gotten away with in the sense that maybe, you know, a teenager, you've done things your parents don't know about never will know about. Done things maybe your spouse will never know about. Siblings, your children, your employer. Certainly possible. We're probably not as good at getting away at getting away with things as we think we are, but we we can do things that people won't know about. I guess one of the humbling, one of the challenging things about these these first six verses is that you don't get away with stuff with God. You know, I mean, everybody knows that. If you know what the Bible teaches about God, you know that intellectually. But to but to realize that 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 thing that you've done and, and nobody in your family knows about, nobody in your church family knows about it. God was sitting there with you when you did it, and He knew it before you did it. He knew the thoughts that led to it. He's He's intimately aware of everything that we do, of, of the thoughts, of the motivations, of he knows us better than we know ourselves. I mean, the, the Old Testament speaks of the heart being desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know ourselves, much less being able to know other people, you know? And the psalmist is wrestling with that. And I'm gonna, when we get to the end of this, I want to tell you what I think is the context of this. It's a little bit hard to figure out, but these aren't just random musings where he just happens to be thinking about how, how much God knows him. But there's a context to it, I think. But we'll get there at the end. just want you to reflect on that. You search me and known me. This idea of an, of an infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God of searching our hearts and knowing every nook and cranny of our being, of our brain, of our, of our emotions, of our, of our bodies. God, God knows everything that we are and everything that we'll ever be and every motive, every thought. I mean, it's, it's an all-encompassing kind of thing. And it's humbling to recognize that we live in the presence of that divine being who's intimately concerned about just us, more than seven billion people on the planet, and God's concerned about my thoughts about some meeting I've got next week that I'm stressed out about, or, or this concern that's keeping me or you awake at night tonight. God, God cares about that. He knows about it. He's got it. You know, He knows. He's there with you. Seven billion plus people, and God is just as infinitely concerned about you and me as He, as he is about the most important person on the planet, whoever that is. You know? It's a pretty powerful thing. You know when I sit down, so he, he, he takes it kind of out here. You search me and know me, and then he, he zeroes in a bit. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. So it's certainly God, if he searches us and knows us, he knows what we do. He knows he'll, he'll follow you. He'll be there with you when you get home tonight and you take your Sunday clothes off and you sit down in your favorite chair and you... Is there an NFL game tonight? I don't know. What, you flip on, the, flip on the TV and whatever. You're going to unwind tonight. God's going to sit down with you. He'll be there with you. When you sit down and tomorrow morning when you get up and you, you start checking the boxes off on your to-do list. When it's school or work or chores around the house or just things that you've got to do. God's going to be there with you. He's, he searches you. He knows you. He will go to... He will go to your house with you tonight. He'll be there when you lie down. He'll be there when you rise up. This, this language here is beautiful and humbling and scary and exhilarating and thrilling. And he says, you search out my path and my lying down. 
Isn't that neat? God searches out your path. Like whatever path you're going to walk tomorrow, God's already been there. He already walked that path before you got there. He searched it out. And He's not going to let you walk down that path unless it's the path that He's chosen for you. There may be some, some briars on the path, but if they're there, God let them stay there because He knew you needed them. Or maybe He cleared some briars, briars off the path because he, didn't know, he knew that you did not need them at this particular time. He, he, he searches out your path and, and you're lying down. He's acquainted, the psalmist says, with all my ways. That kind of all-encompassing knowledge is beautiful, isn't it? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. <clears throat> Knows what you say before you even knew you were going to say it. That's, that's what he's saying. Isn't that language cool? Even before a word is on my tongue, you already knew it. You knew I was going to say that. What was it Moses said? I'm not a good speaker. When he was arguing with God about why he didn't need to be the one to go down to, ex to, to Egypt to rescue the people, and God said, who made your tongue, Moses? God's got, the, God's got the words. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You, you put a hedge around me. You've got, you've got boundaries around me. You, you almost get the impression that he thinks that every moment of every day, Every week of every month of every year is lived in, uh, under the all-seeing gaze of the creator of this world. And that God is, is just very, very concerned about what's going on. Uh, we forget that sometimes. I do. Just kind of got my schedule, get, get busy doing what I need to get done. Forgetting that every, every moment is a God moment where God is, God is working and God is acting. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He starts in verse 7 with a little bit of a different emphasis. <clears throat> I don't think he's consciously teaching the omnipresence of God, though. That would be the implication of what he says here. God's intimately familiar with us. He's going to come back to that idea, so hold that. But then in verse 7, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? <clears throat> now, I don't think he's trying to get away from God. <clears throat> don't read it like that. <clears throat> where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I wanted to. Where would I go? He uses different kinds of language. If I ascend to the heaven, if I go up, you're there. If I go down to Sheol, you're there. If I take, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See what he's saying here? I mean, if I, if I, where, where, where could I go if I wanted to, to get away from your all-seeing eye? Where, where could I go? Go up? Nope. God's there. If I go down to Sheol, to the, the, the dwelling place of the dead, you're there. If I went to the deepest part of the ocean, the farthest part from land that you can get to in the ocean, yet there's, there's God. There your hand would lead me. What about light? If I, if I went to the darkest place on the planet, and even there God, God is there. Because that place, though dark to me, is not dark to God because God is light. See what he's saying here? It's a powerful thing. Then I love this, verse, verses 13 
and following, for you formed my inward parts. This is one of those passages that must say something to us about the way we view unborn life, preborn life. God is intimate, intimately involved in the creation of human life. For you formed my inward parts. Just think about, think about what that's saying. <clears throat> the miracle of conception. This incredibly, you know, inexplicable creation of life. And the psalmist here pictures it as God with his hands. Think about how, how intimate this is. It's not just that God sets certain things in motion, procreation happens when this happens and this happens and everything works together, you know, all that. That's not the way the psalmist sees it. Yeah, there are biological mechanisms in place. But the psalmist says, that's not really it. God, with his hands, creates this little life. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that, neat? Isn't that, isn't that so awesome? How dare we take a life that God has knitted together with his own fingers, as it were, and destroyed. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intimately, or intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none, there was none of them. You see that language? You created, you wove me together. You created me in this intricate way. You saw my days when I didn't even have any days. The days that were formed for me. Do you, you know this was there? You think about this. Think about you're planning your week. You know, we're, we're all planning our upcoming week or planning 2018 or whatever. God's got these days, and He had these days before you even had any days. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God created the days before for you before there were any even, even any days. It's the kind of God we serve. That's how interested God is in your, in your to-do list this week. That's how interested he, he is in, in whatever problem you've got going on at school, at work, in the neighborhood, with your family, or some struggle that you're having in your marriage, or relationships. God, God's in those days. He's in those days. He was in those days before those days came. Certainly, He, he will be present when those days arrive. It's a, it's a beautiful image of our God. How precious, verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. How precious are the thoughts of God. And, and he says, there's no way for me even to fathom those thoughts. How many there are. But he says, I awake and I'm still with you. And then there's this change. This is a this is, you, you get this when you're reading the Psalms. You're reading along, everything's good, you know, and then you come to this. 
Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. That doesn't seem to follow, does it? Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So you got all this stuff about God knows me in every way. He created me. He intricately you know, fashioned me. God knows everything. He knows the days. He knows everything about you and me. Now, go kill those wicked people, Lord. And then he comes back to this. This is how the psalm ends. And I'm going to make just one point. We'll be done. But he says this. <coughs> Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I think the key to this psalm is right there at the end of this. You kind of get the impression when you're reading this, he's musing about how powerful God is and how omniscient God is and how he's everywhere and he knows everything and he knows everything about me and, and all that. You get that impression that these are just random musings, but probably the Psalms weren't collected like that. They weren't written like that. <clears throat> and, and so you've got, you've got all that, and then you've got this statement about the enemies, and then you've got the concluding statement, which is what? Read it again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I didn't pick up on this, so I did some reading on it. And um, scholars suggest that the setting of this psalm is one where the psalmist has been falsely accused for something. And he writes this psalm in that kind of setting that he has been accused by enemies of doing something, of being guilty of something. And this psalm is written as a psalm of, uh, of statement of, of, of confidence in God. But you think about it for a second. When you read it, if you read it with that in mind, why is he concerned about God knowing his thoughts? About God knowing everything about him? Basically, this is a psalm wherein he's declaring his innocence. And he's saying, I am innocent before my God because God knows everything that I've done and he knows that I'm innocent. He knows that I'm pure. Now, he doesn't claim in this psalm or anywhere, he doesn't claim absolute perfection or sinlessness. He's speaking about with reference. I think this is it. He's speaking with reference to a specific thing that he had been accused of. And he's saying, Lord, you know me. You created me in my mother's womb. You know my days. You know my steps. You know when I went to bed. You know when I got up. You knew everything about my life. You know that I'm not guilty of what they're accusing me of. I think that's the setting of this psalm. That doesn't mean it's the only application of it. It only means that <laughs> if I'm right on this, then that's, the, that's why this was originally written. And you can apply it like that. You, you think about that. People might accuse you of stuff. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been accused falsely by someone. Someone at work or school, family, somewhere. He's accused you of having a motive you didn't have, doing something you didn't do, thinking something you didn't think, saying something you didn't say, or at least you didn't say it with the wrong kind of motivation. You've been accused of false things before. How do you stand? How do you take that? Well, if you're innocent, you ought to be able to, it's, it's going to bug you, it's going to bother you, but, but you ought to be able to take it ultimately because you know this is true. You know that the God who created you knows your hearts, he knows your motives, he knows what you did, what you didn't do, he knows your thoughts. And he will stand for you. 
You, you stand before God. And ultimately, the only one that matters is not the court of public opinion. The only one that matters is how do you stand in the presence of God? How does God look at your heart and your life? That's, what, that's the only one that matters. That's, that's the way I read this psalm here. But let's, let's go beyond that. <clears throat> because if everything in this psalm is true, which we believe it to be true, then it's a pretty scary thing as well. Because God, if God knows my motives, and God knows your heart, and God knows your thoughts, and, and you know we can all fool one another. We can, we can think things that we don't share with everybody. God knows those thoughts. It's a little bit scary to understand that God looks down into my heart and your heart, and He knows it all. He knows it all. Would you like for your thoughts? <coughs> would you like for your thoughts to be just out there for everybody to see? Most of us wouldn't. Not not all of them. But God knows those thoughts. And here's here's at the end. This is why this doesn't have to be a scary thing. At the end of it, God has seen and He knows us perfectly, and He still justifies us based on what Jesus has done. I love that definition of a friend. A friend is someone who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. You heard that before. <clears throat> on some sort of much bigger scale, on an infinite scale, that's what God is. God's somebody who knows everything about you. He knows everything. He knows the dirt and scum and the, and the grime. He, he knows it all. He knows the bad motives. He knows the thoughts. And he, knows the, he knows it all. And he loves you anyway because he's God, because God is good. And ultimately, God purifies us by His Son. And that's the beauty of it all, is that we stand in the presence of a God who infinitely knows us and who smiles when He looks at us because He sees in us who He created us to be and He sees in us the person that is redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so God looks at us, and though He's aware of our foibles and our sins, God sees us as if we were fully justified and fully righteous in His sight. That's the beauty of the gospel in that God, God looks into our hearts and He doesn't see us as we are, but He sees us as we have become because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the beauty of being a Christian. You search me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. At the very end of this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That points to the cross. And if there's someone here who's not a Christian tonight, God knows you. <clears throat> the one who created you, he shaped you, formed you, fashioned you in your mother's womb. He, he's intim, intimately involved in your existence and in your life. God and he loves you desperately more than you can even fathom. He loves you that much. But he doesn't want to leave you where you are because you've made a mess of things. We all have. He wants to invite you to come into a relationship with him through Christ. And God will redeem you. He'll redeem your thoughts, your motives, your words, and your actions. And he'll save you by his grace. You can come tonight as someone who's ready to confess Jesus Christ and put him on in baptism and have all your sins washed away by his blood and by God's grace, mercy, and love. And you can do that and serve this kind of God. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you in your obedience. Uh, if you've already obeyed the gospel, but you need prayers from your church family here, we want to pray for you. Let's stand and sing this song. Would you be free from the 